Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Eric Metaxas. Uh, he is, of course, uh, well, well known to our readers and listeners, radio host and commentator, actually one of the most prominent public intellectuals. I'm not sure I really like that term much anymore, but uh, th- that we have today. His many writings include the books Martin Luther, a biography I read uh, uh, a while back, another great read, Fish Out of Water, A Search for the Meaning of Life. And now... Is atheism dead? That is our topic today. Welcome, Mr. Metaxas. Oh, listen, uh, it's an honor to be on with you. I've been reading uh, First Things for a long, long time, had the privilege of knowing Father Newhouse, and even was published in uh, in First Things in 1999. I published, or, or First Things published, a poem of mine. Uh, in 1999, hard to believe, hmm. but true. Uh, and and you didn't mention my Bonhoeffer book, but I'm not kidding. One of my the greatest moments of my life um, was reading uh, Archbishop Chaput's review of my Bonhoeffer book in First Things uh, back in 2010. I just thought I have arrived to get a, <laughs> a really super positive review from a hero of the faith. Uh, in a magazine I respect. So, uh, in any event, just so glad to be talking to you today. Good. Let, let, let's start our, our listeners back in our archives to, to, to take a look at those materials again. Now, uh, you, you begin by mentioning something in the book that I actually was going to ask you about before even starting to read the book, because I first saw you address this issue of science and atheism and faith in a Wall Street Journal op-ed several yeah. years back, I think it was 2014, about the many uh, non-signs of life that were coming in from other planets. Was that your first foray into the scientific evidence against atheism? Actually, um, I wrote a book. I mean, most people know me from these biographies of, of uh, Luther. And by the way, I'm a pro-Catholic non-Catholic, and the book on Luther was praised by uh, Peter Crave. So I always want to be clear about that. It's, it's a biography. But I'm, I'm a little bit less known for a book I wrote called Miracles, which came out in 2014. And in the book Miracles, I talk about flat-out miracles, but I also talk about what I talk about in this new book is Atheism Dead, uh, which is called The Fine-Tuned Universe and how evidence from science makes it ultra clear. I I don't just mean probable. I mean, ultra clear. 
that there can be no question that this universe, this planet, life did not emerge by random natural processes. That thesis has to be thrown out the window. So I put some of that in my book, Miracles, and the publisher of the book was Dutton Penguin. They said, oh, would you write an op-ed on your book, Miracles? And I thought, if I'm going to write about anything, I've got to write about this. So I wrote the piece. I, it was the first piece that I uh, had published in the Wall Street Journal, and they published it with the title, um, Science Increasingly Makes the Case for God. And I will never, ever forget it. They, you know, that 850-word article became the most shared popular article in the history of the Wall Street Journal keeping those kinds of records by a multiple of two. I mean, it was like it, it, it wasn't even close. And and it brings up why I wrote the book Is Atheism Dead? There is a hunger among people, uh, particularly, uh, you know, in America, thinking people, they just say, I, I keep getting this memo over and over and over that faith is at odds with with reason or that or that, uh, that 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 faith is at odds with science so to read a piece in the wall street journal i think it appeared christmas day uh, of that year that says science is actually now making the case for god people just flipped out and so it, it just it went so viral i've never seen anything like it and i said someday i have to write a book that goes into more depth on this because the evidence mark is just overwhelming and then the second piece that's that's you know or i can say the evidence is astonishing but what's almost more astonishing is how most people just don't know this we have bought this narrative and and we we those of us who are people of faith ourselves ha have kind of maybe given up hope that uh you know science would point to god or that the two would be so i just said i have got to get into the details and let people know that it, it, it is really astonishing. We're, I think we should be responsible for this information. This is amazing information. It's true. It's not just some subjective thesis. The, from the first paragraph, what is one of the striking things about the book, apart from all the scientific research that you pour into this book, this isn't a short book, it's a hefty book. I, I flew through it while, while reading just because your, your prose style is so, is so fluid and elegant. But the, the first thing that hits you is the boldness, the confidence, the enthusiasm, which says, listen, faith has all the cards at this point, the scientific cards, and the believers need no longer be on the defenders. Defenders right. of the faith right. can be, can be, can be, we're on offense now and the enthusiasm, That's right. it's, it's really infectious, but you're right that the, it's almost, there's, there's a two-part issue here and that is, first of all, assembling the evidence, letting people know, but also turning the, the attitude around into one of confidence. Is that a major part of the point here or the challenge? Well, it was not, you know, when I, well, no, let me, let me say, actually, yes. I remember the reason I decided I needed to write the book, um, and I've given lots of talks on it. People can, can, can Google it, and there's you know, lots of talks that will reprise some of what I say here and a lot of other stuff that I can't get into here. But, but I think, ultimately, there were two things that, that made me say I have to write this book. Number one, um, I met a guy in Houston, one of the top scientists in the world. Uh, he's a, a faithful Christian, 
and he is literally probably the top nanoscientist in the world today. And he said to me, now, it's, I find some of this delightful and funny, right? Here's a guy who probably knows more about what's happening on the nano level than anybody in the world. And he said that, you know, in 1952, he reminded me, and, and many people will remember that, oh, yeah, in high school or junior high, he was on the test that, that back in 1952, some, you know, grad students at the University of Chicago did an experiment, the famous Miller-Urey experiment, where they said, look, we ran electricity kind of like lightning through this prebiotic soup. We said, you know, what, what was on the surface of the planet four billion years ago? Uh, it was, you know, some lifeless soup. There's no life. We ran some electricity through it. And shazam, we got amino acids. That's, those are the building blocks of protein. So we're on our way, confidence, science. Science is pushing faith out. And we're discovering the natural processes by which life came into being. Except my friend, James Tour, this, this nanoscientist, he's now a friend. He says, Eric, that was seven decades ago. They have not moved the ball forward, despite all the enthusiasm, despite billions in funding. What they were supposed to discover after that, and then after that, and then after that, to connect the dots, they never got past that, which they did in 1952. In other words, this, this idea that this is the first step in showing how single cells emerged four billion years ago. We're going to show you now. Here's the first step. We got amino acids. He says they have not moved that ball forward one millimeter. In fact, just the opposite. In the seven decades, the more research they do, in other words, the more science we know, the more uh, ability we have in science to see things, the more we know that there is no question that life did not emerge randomly through the sloshing of the, the, you know, the primordial prebiotic oceans. In other words, we might have believed that that was possible in 1952, but we now know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it could not have happened. I mean, even in 1953 with the discovery of you know, DNA, suddenly you realize, oh, there's something very complex here. It's called like this computer code. It's this extremely complex computer code in every single living cell. So we're not just putting together like a jelly donut. We're putting together this unbelievably complex thing. So the more time has passed, the more science knows without any question that you can never get the simplest life, a single cell, through these random processes. But the big news and the reason I wrote the book is that my, my friend James Tour, Dr. James Tour, he said, Eric, nobody's talking about this. Nobody, they're, they're afraid to bring this up because it's so embarrassing. So for, for seven decades, they kept saying, well, we're working on it. We're working on it. Richard Dawkins, the famous new atheist, said, yeah, we're working on that. Well, let me tell you how they're working on it. They're, they're working on it like we're building a ladder to the moon. It's not going to happen. It's ridiculous. But nobody has the guts to say it. So James Tour said, I've got the guts to say it, and I'm saying it. I'm calling for a moratorium on funding for this preposterous – we now know enough to know that we have been way out over our skis. There is not a chance that what they discovered in 1952 is the first step toward, toward, toward anything. You know? And I, I realized that when I, when I understood this from James Tour, I said, you know what? Nobody talks – you're right. Nobody talks about this, including – People of faith, we talk about evolution and we argue about that, but that's presupposing life, 
if you're talking about the existence of God, you know, somebody can make the case for for our evolution. You can have that conversation all along. But wait a minute. Science says life emerged in single cell form four billion years ago. So the question is, how did that happen? Mr. Scientist, this is the most basic question you could possibly ask life. How did it begin? And he made it really clear that the more we know, the more we know that we don't know. And I, I just found it funny. And I said, nobody writes about that. I need to write about that. Then I met somebody who um, uh, I, I met a man in Albuquerque uh, who is a biblical archaeologist who flat out discovered biblical Sodom. And when I heard about this, I thought that's not possible. Biblical Sodom. And it's the first couple of pages of the Bible. There's no way that archaeology could, you know, find something from 1700 B.C. and find evidence of the destruction. Well, the more I looked into it, the more I thought, oh, my goodness, this is not some crazy theory he flat out discovered it in fact nature you know the peer-reviewed scientific journal about eight months ago published a very long very scientific article from 21 scientists weighing in on what they've determined and <clears throat> even they in, in 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 of all things nature uh you know mention the shocking parallels to this you know to this ancient account and so I said, here are two pieces of information, one that argues, you know, for the existence of God. Then there's a piece of information that argues for the historicity of the Bible. I mean, if ever, you know, we're not talking about uh, 500 B.C. We're talking about something from, you know, the, the, the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. And I said, the biggest news to me is that no one, including Christians, seem to be aware of of these two pieces of astonishing new information. And so I said, just that, I need, to, I need to write a book to get this information out to a more popular audience. And then I thought of all of the other stuff, uh, you know, along the lines of scientific evidence, fine-tuned universe, all of that. I said, I need to put this in a book because most people of faith are simply unaware of how absolutely dramatic the evidence is again for the for the bible as history number one or, or rather for for science pointing to god number one and then for the bible as history number two and then at the end of the book of course you talk about this confidence i said it the evidence has become so overwhelming that if you're a person of faith who needs bucking up trust me uh we we need to we need to know that the evidence is just it's just beyond what I think most of us had had hoped could 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 exist. We need to get that word out because we're going through some tough times. Let's face it. And, and l let's be clear that the scientific evidence is not simply pulling back on the the certitude of secular atheist scientists and, and, and sort of leaving leaving the doubt out there, the agnostic position. No, the scientific evidence is very positively in favor right. of a designing right. creator of some kind. So yeah, th that's again, that's what I find funny is that it's not just like, hey, the case for God is stronger. The case against atheism has become, I would say, as open and shut as the case against flat earthism. I mean, it's literally that dramatic. It, it, it's and and. Most even people of faith find it hard to believe, and that's why I say, folks, check it out for yourself. Tell me what you think. This is this is amazing.
Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. You know, I think that you have done a very nice compendium of so much of the evidence. You mentioned archaeological, uh, astronom cosmological, or astronomical. Let, let, me, let me get into one detail of an area, and this is the Big Bang research. Uh, sort of two-part question here. How, what does the Big Bang do to the idea of, quote, infinite time? Yeah. And what, what, what does that do for matters of, of faith? Well, this is another interesting thing because we, we've all been subject to this secular narrative, you know, the secular drumbeat over the decades. And we have been told it's almost like, you know, a magician trying to distract you we've we've nobody talks about the big bang anymore and what a horror that is to secularists to people who are materialists you know scientistic people who say there is no uh room for god we just put that the big bang we we forget that when that first appeared uh as as a uh a thesis People who are atheists or who who were who were secular scientists, they were deeply horrified for many reasons. But two of them uh, are just just the idea of how clearly it points to the idea that this vast universe—I mean, so vast that it, it hurts your head to think about it—that it was created out of nothing at a point in time. You know that is very dramatic evidence for God. And, you know, we, we can go into that. I go into it in the book, but also what you just said, there's another piece of information that comes out of it. You say, well, if that's true, we can no longer use the excuse of anything can happen given enough time because the science says, well, guess what? There isn't enough time. All the stuff that you're purporting could happen given infinite time, which, which is, you know, kind of playing head games. He's like giving, given infinite time, you know, monkeys can type the works of Shakespeare. Actually, no, that's not really true. But the point is that that thesis goes away when you start realizing we don't have infinite time. The earth is this old. The universe is this old. So say what you will, science, not faith, science is pointing to the idea that there has to be another explanation besides what we would call a naturalistic explanation. And that is so disturbing to people. We we forget because you know we weren't around. But Einstein was horrified. I mean, the, the the first chapter of the book I talk about the Big Bang. How Einstein was himself horrified at the implication of his equations. And you know, in 1911, 12, he's doing these equations that seem to imply the universe is expanding. And he's thinking, wait a minute, we can't have that. That sounds like a religious thing. If if if, if the universe is expanding and it, you know, you you run the clock backwards to some moment where it expanded from a single point. That sounds like the biblical idea. That's embarrassing to me as a scientist. So he fudges it and introduces his famous, infamous uh, cosmological constant because he says, I don't want people you know, to think that I'm pointing to the Bible. 
And then, of course, a couple of decades later, he's got egg on his face because more and more evidence and more other geniuses said, hey, by the way, uh, Albert, yes, the universe is expanding. Uh, and, and so there have been people dragging their feet against this idea of the Big Bang. So we all kind of act like, oh, no big deal. We, everybody buys that. But if you really look at the implications, it is, again, tremendously embarrassing for people who are so pro-science that they're anti-faith. And of course, if you're so pro-science that you're anti-faith, you're actually anti-science. And that's kind of what comes out of it. This is, this is sort of a running irony uh, in, in the book that the, the investment in a, a secular, materialist, infinite time and space world is actually very unscientific at this point. That's the, the point. The evidence right. is all coming in. It's undermining you. And if you hold to it, then, then you know, we, we see you, you got an ideology or an investment or something causing, causing problems for you. But let me, let me ask, ne next argument, what is the so-called fine-tuned argument? Yeah, this is, the, this is really the most dramatic. Um, and it's kind of funny because when I published that piece in the Wall Street Journal, uh, you know, kind of, and, and by the way, I, that's in the appendix to this book so people can read that original article. But I, the blowback I got was unbelievable. I mean, somebody wrote a, a long article in the New Yorker magazine, you know, tr trying to say how stupid this was. And I thought to myself, here's your problem. N no less than Christopher Hitchens, when asked in a rare moment of candor, because on this subject, he was not known to be generous or, or uh, even honest, I don't think. But somebody put a camera in his face and said, hey, what is the best argument for the God side? And he responded, oh, without any question, it's the fine-tuned argument. So, so here you have Hitchens, you know, uh, the smartest of, of, of the new atheists, or at least one of, the, one of the top ones, the most prominent, flat out saying this is the argument that is the most challenging for us atheists. So all the people pretending that it's an idiotic argument. When I wrote my article in the Wall Street Journal, I thought, well, I'm sorry, but Christopher Hitchens, not only does he disagree with that, but he said that all of you agree that this is the big problem. So what is the fine-tuned argument? It is very simply this. The more science knows, the more science discovers, the more they see evidence of design that looks like fine-tuning. In other words, they look at something like the size of the Earth. Well, they say, we now know, we didn't know this decades ago, but we now know that the size of the Earth, if it were any smaller, like even 4% or something very little, it would not have a sufficient magnetosphere, so-called, to hold in the atmosphere that it has, and there'd be no life. Isn't that amazing? We now know this from science. But then they say, on the other hand, if the Earth were the tiniest bit larger, it also would give rise to a planet that couldn't have uh, the right atmosphere. So they say, this is crazy. Look at this. Science is telling us that the size of the Earth is exactly right. It appears fine-tuned. It appears to be absolutely um, you know, calibrated for, for life. It's, it's really just an amazing thing. And so that's one example where if you're, if you're a, an atheist, you say, well, look, that's just coincidence. We just happen to live on a planet that's just exactly the right size. So what? And you say, okay, well, so, so what? That's one example. But everywhere science looks, they see the same thing. They see fine-tuning everywhere you look. 
um, we, we've discovered that uh, the existence of uh, the, the existence of Jupiter. I mean, if you look, it's 400 million miles away. And I, I'm, you know, Mark, I should ask you: Have you ever seen it in the night sky? Uh, probably, but I don't remember. <laughs> well, that's my that's my answer. It's like I don't know. I think maybe somebody pointed out what it's 400 million miles away. And science now knows, I mean, if you want to talk about fine-tuning, that the solar system is fine-tuned. Science now says that if that pinprick of light in the sky that you can see once in a while, 400 million miles away, if it weren't there because it has such powerful gravity because it's, it's, it's so massive, we now know that it pulls away uh, innumerable asteroids and meteors and that if it weren't there, you just – erase it it's gone 1000 times as many asteroids meteors would hit the earth and science knows if that were the case there's no question that life could not exist or thrive or they they just know that that's uh you know it's the kind of thing that they think well gosh that's kind of amazing and another incredibly lucky coincidence you know <laughs> and, and but everywhere uh, you look you see yeah and, and let's be clear Eric, when you said incredibly lucky we're not talking about odds of 100 to 1 we're getting up to you you put it in the, in the book you say this isn't this is like flipping a coin and having it come up heads well, like 100 million times in a row yeah no it's it's the kind of thing that it gets so crazy and that's why Now, here's the key. You say, well, why haven't I heard this? Part of the reason we haven't heard this, and I make the case in the book, is that the way science works, it's all incremental, right? We find an example of fine-tuning. Okay, fine-tuning. We find another example of fine-tuning. There's nobody keeping track and saying, holy cow, the fine-tuning is just insane. Look at this. You don't don't get a headline uh, in the newspapers because this has been happening over the decades. But I think people who are paying attention say the, the evidence for God continues everywhere we look in the universe. And when I say in the universe, I don't just mean in the solar system. I mean on the level of galaxies, on the level of life on Earth, on the microscopic level. Everywhere we look, we see that, gosh, if this weren't exactly like this, there'd be no universe. There'd be no life. My, my favorite one, it's kind of abstract, but. Science now knows – I mean, again, this is crazy stuff. This is what science knows. This is not people of faith. Science says that within the first millionth of, of a second after the Big Bang, the first the, – the four fundamental forces were determined, the value. So the value of gravity, the value of the electromagnetic force, the weak nuclear force, the strong nuclear force, these four fundamental values in physics were determined to – you know, multiple decimal, like point zero 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 one accuracy, and that if any of them were were any different, the universe as we know it could not exist, would not exist with planets and stars and galaxies. And you think, oh, and, and so that's a coincidence also? In other words, we're talking about something that is just a preposterous level of precision. I mean, it's just madness. We didn't know this a few decades ago. So I guess the thesis of the whole book, and again, of course, the title is, Is Atheism Dead?, is that in, in 1966, Time Magazine asked the question, Is God Dead? 
and the thesis of the book is in, in the decades since then, the script has flipped and science is no longer pointing away from God. On the contrary, it is pointing so dramatically to the existence of God that you know we need to acknowledge this. This is gigantic news. Uh, and and, as, and if, if you just care about truth, you need to deal with this. You need to deal with it. So it's, it really is – it's astonishing. But, but I've you know, only scratched the surface with a fine-tuned argument. Everywhere you look, when you look into chemistry, biology, everywhere scientists have looked, they've found this. And so obviously I write more about it in the book. Yeah. You know, let, me, let me take the contrary, uh, the, the contrary attitude or, or whatever. You, you speak of the, quote, bleakness of the materialist outlook. Now, we're getting all this evidence to say, you don't need to be so bleak. Why, why do you think, this steps out of the book a little bit, uh, why do you think that people are holding on to this against the evidence? Well, look, I think it's fairly simple. We know that uh, if you believe in the God of the Bible, it requires something of you. You can't just say, oh, I believe he exists, but you know, I'm going to live my life the way I want. If the God of the Bible really did create the universe and created life and created each of us and on and on and on, there are uh, implications. And I think that those implications make a lot of people very uncomfortable and they just want to ignore it. They want to put their hands over their ears or hands over their eyes and they just want to move on with their lives because they say, I don't want to be responsible for how I behave. And what, that's human nature, you know? And, and I think that what, what is funny to me really is just the idea that we have a uh, <laughs> we we have a problem because this is reality. This is not um, this is not you know some religious point of view. This is reality pointing to the God of the Bible. And as a Christian, I want to say to people, hey folks, you know when you act like this is a bad thing, you're actually mistaken. This is a great thing. Uh, you have bought the lie that uh, there's this God who doesn't want you to have any fun and, and he's a bummer and you're going to have to become some religious fanatic. I mean, th those are all lies that are part and parcel with the lie that science is pushing us away from, from faith in, in, in the God of the Bible. So it really is, um, it, it's funny to me that people act like the worst thing in the world would be we discovered that the Bible is real and the God of the Bible is real. And, it, and, and then the contrary part, which uh, you, you, I think you were just touching on is that if you actually look at what atheism leads to, most people seem unable to face the horror of the implications of atheism. They kind of act like, well, I could believe in a world without God and it's all good. And you think, wait a minute, if you believe that there is no God and that we got here by random processes, by accident, or whatever, if you believe that, the implications are a waking nightmare. And it's only intellectual sloppiness or dishonesty that lets you ignore those implications. The implications are, are nightmarish, and you've been sold this bill of goods like, oh, I can be a, a fulfilled atheist. I can love my, my kids uh, and be a good person. And you think, no, 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 no. That is not right. You are playing head games. If you say there's no God, then you have to follow the logic. The logic says – there is no meaning in the universe. Your life has no value. And you know, then they'll say things like, well, 
I choose to give it value or I choose to, to create my own meaning. And I say, yeah, that's like saying I choose to print money in my basement and I'll pay you with that. It's complete sophistry. It's silliness. You cannot invent meaning. You can't say I create my own meaning. So even that idea is silly and nobody ever calls people on it. It's like, no, no, no. The whole definition of meaning is objective meaning. If it's subjective meaning, it's a hallucination, hallucination. It's meaningless. And I think, um, you know, I know we're just about out of time, but I, I should mention this because I think this is actually important. And it goes along with this, uh, the larger narrative that people have not been paying attention to that we need to get this information out. What I discovered was that the two, you know, almost most famous atheists really in the whole 20th century, Jean-Paul Sartre and Albert Camus, both of them who were looking unblinkingly at the idea of a world without God, both of them facing the horror of it and not trying to uh, be like the new atheists who, who are very intellectually dishonest about the implications and say, oh, what a great thing. They were honest and they said, this is, this is, this is difficult. How do we live as human beings with no God? Both of those men, Sartre and Camus, at the end of their lives came to faith in the God of the Bible. And I think to myself, that should be headline news. Everyone who's forced to read, you know, these depressing texts uh, in college from Sartre or Camus should be told, oh, and by the way, at the end of their lives, they came to see the emptiness of this idea, how this idea is not intellectually tenable, it's not sustainable, and they came to some kind of faith. That to me is a huge headline and huge evidence that atheism is bankrupt, but you don't hear that. And I said, well, you will hear it in my book. People need to know uh, need to know some of these things. So I, I feel honored, you know, that I that I got to put this stuff in my book. Well, the upshot is, people of faith, you are the reality based, evidence based community. <laughs> you That's are, right. are and more and more, and, and the book, uh, the, the book, it it brings in more and more on this. And for for our listeners, you tell actually real stories of real people. Uh, the stories of different discoveries. You bring in the proliferating archaeological evidence for the historical truth of yeah. biblical events. You talk about atheism. It has its own founding myths uh, that people yeah. won't want to treat as myths. And and so I, I, I find that, uh, again, there is a call uh, in in the book that... that uh, is actually a very innervating one for 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 those of us for those of us who believe. Well, that's that's thank you because I I think it's an important point is that we who are people of faith need to understand that the script really has flipped. And I would say this, I would say this is God's mercy to us as things seem to be bleak, bleaker and bleaker, God gives us, you know, the scripture says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against it. This information that we're getting from science and, and archaeology is, to some extent, God's mercy to us during these tough times. And to say, hey, hey, uh, buck up. The evidence is astonishing. Put a smile on your face. The, it's harder and harder to sustain that crazy secularist narrative. It's on its way out. The book is, Is Atheism Dead? Eric McTaxis, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much.
And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930. 